Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you need additional help on how to do that, we have a Next Steps page on our website that you can check out. Also, if you haven't been able to attend a service at any one of our campuses recently and participate in the time of giving, you can give anytime you want online by visiting our Give page or by texting to give. We hope that God speaks to you in this sermon. Take care. your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You know, whenever we talk about the mind, we tend to think of our brains, which is probably the most complicated part about us. Um, this one organ produces every thought, action, memory, feeling, and experience we have. In three pounds of tissue, it contains 100 billion nerve cells, otherwise known as neurons. Before we were even born, our body produced two billion of these neurons, giving us the power to think and react. Each neuron has the ability to contact tens of thousands of other neurons through tiny little, little structures called synapses. On average, one synapse can hold roughly 4.7 bits of information. This means that the human brain has a capacity of one petabyte, which is comparable to 20 million four-drawer filing cabinets filled with text, or 13.3 years of HD TV recording, <laughs> or 4.7 million books or 670 million web pages. We have a supercomputer in our heads. A computer that is more complex than any supercomputer Bill Gates or any of you who work in the Silicon Valley could ever develop or create. And no offense, if you work in the Silicon Valley, you're still way smarter than I will ever be. Seriously, this is so intimidating to me because there is a part of me that I will never be able to figure out. It is more complex than a computer, and I can't figure out computers. Like this past week, it took me way longer than it should have to figure out how to share my calendar with my wife. It was so frustrating. And don't even get me started on viruses on computers. Just because an ad pops up offering me free barbecue for life, and I happen to click on that ad because of the prospect of all I can eat ribs forever triggers something in me shouldn't mean that all of my friends on my contact list get sent the same life-changing opportunity from my email. This is a hypothetical situation, of course, it's definitely never happened to me, but, but from what I can tell, viruses aren't fun. What's interesting is that our brain, our mind, although much more complex than a computer, can also get a virus. Science would call these viruses a cognitive distortion. A negative, untrue thought that consequently creates negative,
feelings and causes our body to release cortisol, which is the stress hormone that plays an important role in fueling our fight, flight, or freeze response. The virus of the mind, this virus of the mind, literally affects our actions. So don't miss what this means. Our mind, our thoughts, they determine our feelings, which determine our behavior. Our mind is so important. Now, in light of all of this today on all of our campuses and for those of you joining online and following along in the prisons, when we talk about the action of loving God with all of our minds and we understand how much our minds shape our actions, I believe the question we have to begin with today is this. What do my actions toward God say about my thoughts of God? Or maybe even more to the point, what do I think about God? Because if actions start in our mind and we want to change our actions, if we want to learn to love God with all of our mind, it starts with the way we think about God. Author A.W. Tozer once wrote, that what comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, since the beginning of time, we've seen human beings get in a lot of trouble when they start to think the wrong things about God. And go all the way back to the fall of humanity, Genesis 3 in the garden where a virus slithered in and delivered lies to the minds of Adam and Eve. Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure he said to not eat the fruit from that tree? If he did, the reason he told you that was because he doesn't want you to know what he knows. A lie that the devil put right in front of Adam and Eve and they believed it. An untrue thought about God that created a negative feeling that consequently produced destructive behavior. You know, I think this is something we all fall into as well, as we, as we also tend to believe the lies that the enemy puts before us. Even if this looks like leaving us to our own devices to develop and conjure up our own untrue thoughts about God. Scott McKnight, Scott McKnight a, a New Testament professor at a school in Illinois, um, hands out a questionnaire to his students on the first day of class, asking them what they like and what they don't like, um, what what motivates them, what fuels them, um, what excites them, what they're passionate about. And he collects the questionnaire and then he hands out a second questionnaire. And the second questionnaire asks them the same exact questions, but instead of the questions being about the student, the questions are about God. What is God like? What is God not like? McKnight says that 90% of the answers are the exact same on both of the questionnaires. Do we understand what this means? for these students. It means that they think God is like them, that God likes what they like, that he dislikes what they dislike. It means that they believe that God embraces their version of justice and their version of love and their, their version of forgiveness and so on. And I think this is true of most of us. We tend to reduce God's ways to our ways. We tend to reduce God's thoughts to our thoughts. Our friend at Reality San Francisco, Pastor Dave Lomas, who's preached here before, asked in one of his recent sermons, if we were to each think about any controversial issue in our culture or our country today, any political stance, and then if we were to ask ourselves, does God agree with me on that? Most of us would say, of course he does. 
But the complicated part about all of this is that the person next to you who doesn't think the same way you do, who completely disagrees with you, also believes that God agrees with them. Why? Because we think that God embraces what we think and what we believe. But is this true of God? No. God is completely other. He is holy. Holy means set apart. God is set apart from us. He is infinitely more and better and wiser and smarter than us. So we can't reduce God's ways to our ways. We can't reduce God's thoughts to our thoughts because if we do, God is not much of a God. But I think we have the propensity to do this, to allow our thoughts about God to define who God is. Miroslav Volf, a professor of theology at Yale University, um, writes in his book, Free of Charge, which is a phenomenal read. He says, our images of God are rather different from God's reality. We are finite beings and God is infinitely greater than any thoughts we can contain about divine reality in our wondrous but tiny minds. He goes on to say that the most powerful and seductive images of God are not the ones we craft in the privacy of our hearts. They're the ones that seep into our minds as we watch TV, read books, go shopping at the mall, or socialize with our neighbors. Slowly and imperceptibly, he says, the one true God begins acquiring the features of the gods of this world. So again, what do you think about God? Has God acquired the features of the gods of this world? Has a virus crept in? Is it time for a change of mind? If so, Paul has a great answer for us in Romans chapter 12. Here's what he writes. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, in order to untwist the lies, in order to purge out the virus, we must stop conforming to the world and allow God to renew our mind. Paul is telling us that the truth of God is right in front of us, but we need to turn away from our old pattern so we can see it. It's kind of like a good murder mystery party. Have you ever been to one of these? About two years ago, our Livermore staff decided that for our Livermore staff Christmas party, we were going to do a murder mystery. Um, that's how we were gonna celebrate the birth of Jesus. <laughs> and so we, we called this company in, we hired this company, and um, they were terrible. It was, it was a miserable experience. They were not good actors. The party went way too long. Um, and I think they missed the part in the form where we said that we were a church because at one point during the party, one of the actresses called up the spouse of one of our kids' workers and started like massaging his back and his arms and flirting with him. And I'm sitting over there going, how am I gonna explain this to Pastor Steve come next week? Um, by the end, they were like, we're ready to tell you who the murderer was. And I'm looking around and half of our staff had left because it had drug on too long. And I'm like, I don't care. Can you please just get out of here? That would be great. Um, now, if this were a good murder mystery party, um, the truth of who the murderer would have been would have been right in front of us the entire time. When, when these things are executed well, for one, you don't worry about losing your job the next day, um, but for two, 
You can't figure out who the murderer is until the very end. And you kick yourself because you should have seen it coming. Think of a good, like, murder mystery novel. You should have seen the truth that was right there in front of you the entire time, but, but you miss it. Why? Well, because the clever writer appeals to our hunches, our desires, our emotions, our prejudices. We miss the truth because we choose to see what we want to see. The pattern of this world. Paul is imploring us through this letter to the Romans to let God's word renew our minds, to let it fix our prejudices, to let it override our emotions, to let it heal us, that truth would be revealed. And this is something science actually agrees with. Remember earlier when I talked about cognitive distortions, um, negative thoughts that produce negative feelings that produce negative, um, that lead to negative actions. Well, when these cognitive distortions occur over a period of time, the brain develops strong connections that reinforce these beliefs, otherwise known as neuroplasticity. It's like highways being paved in your brain where the same thought keeps traveling back and forth and back and forth, and these things get hardwired into your brain. These connections get hardwired. And the only way to get rid of these connections is to change your cognitive, your cognitive distortions or thought. A person literally needs to create a new thought in order to build new connections or pathways, highways in the brain. So when the Bible talks about renewing the mind, this really happens scientifically through neuroplasticity. My, my friend and coworker who has studied this and is a licensed therapist and walked me through all of this and, and how this happens in the mind and the brain and how the brain works this week um, told me that science has done a lot of work in recent years to uncover and unpack um, how, how the brain works, to learn all of this about the mind. Um, and then she said, the last thing she said to me before she left my office was, it's really cool that science has finally caught up with the Bible. Because, and Paul, Paul knew this, this is what Paul's saying, the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. So if you want to change your actions, you need to change your feelings. But we know that you can't force a feeling or fight off a feeling. But you can change your feelings by changing the way you think because every feeling is determined by a thought. So when it comes to how I love God, how I act toward God, or even how I feel about God, I have to look at what I think about God. If we have any desire to grow in this or even change our lives, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But how? How can we be sure we have the right thoughts about God? How do I renew my mind? And Paul helps us with this in Romans chapter eight. Go ahead and turn there with me on your Bible apps or, or the Bible that you're holding in your hands. We're gonna start right in verse one of Romans chapter eight. Here's what we read, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, before we go any further to, to discuss, there's some stuff that's gonna come up a little bit later about the mind, but I wanna, I wanna sit with the truth that we read right here, the truth of who God is, and that is this. You can't renew your mind 
if you don't know God. And you can't know God if you don't know Jesus. Miroslav Volf later writes in the same chapter that I read from earlier, to worship God, we need to know where to look for the knowledge of the true God. It would be a mistake to seek that knowledge primarily in the world around us. God is not an object of this world. Rather, as Christians, we find God in Jesus Christ. You see, I can, I can tell you everything I know about God's character. Everything I've read, everything I believe, everything I have experienced about who God is. I can tell you that he's compassionate and merciful and just and kind and loving and good and faithful and consistent. I can tell you all of those things. But the wacky thing about all of this is that you can't know this stuff about God unless you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You first have to believe that God exists and then encounter God through his son. That's how you learn who God is. That's where you discover the truth of God. This is the starting point to renewing our mind. Know God through Jesus. This is step one. And as we continue reading Romans 8, we see a, a few other steps that Paul provides to help us experience this renewing of the mind. But before, before we really dig into to those steps, um, I just wanna stop for a moment. And I, and I hope you'll pay attention to this because I realize that anytime we talk about the mind and changing our mind, that this can be a very sensitive and difficult topic for many in all of our auditoriums across the East Bay. For people listening to me today, for some people listening to me, there may be a step for you before the other steps I'm about to share. And here's why. Mental illness affects 43.8 million Americans every single year. Everything from anxiety to depression to bipolar disorder to schizophrenia and, and, and everything in between. I know this hits home for a lot of us. And personally, I have a family, mem family member who's struggling with anxiety, another who's struggling with depression, another who's battling bipolar disorder, and another who's trying to figure out how to live life with schizophrenia. If you are currently struggling with mental illness, the steps about renewing your mind that I'm about to share may seem insignificant and potentially insensitive to you. But that's not my goal. My goal today is to help us all learn how we can practice the renewing of our minds in small steps with wherever God has us. But I want you to know that I acknowledge you each of you listening to me today, each individual who struggles with your mind as a battleground, I love that you're here. I love that you're seeking your next step with Jesus. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will shape the words of this message in your heart and your mind to discover what renewing our minds looks like for you. And please, please, please know that the illness you struggle with is not a character defect. It is not a spiritual disorder. It is not an emotional dysfunction and it is most definitely not a sin. Regardless of what any pastor or churchgoer has told you in the past or anyone who may believe this still, please hear me, mental illness is not a sin. Here's the deal, if, if anyone has committed a sin when it comes to mental illness, it's the church and the way the church has created a stigma about mental health. 
that you need to pray more or you need to have more faith, the way that the church has judged and marginalized individuals who are walking through life with mental illness and, and that we haven't taken the time to figure out what you're going through and try to understand what it's like for you to live with what you're living with. But Cornerstone's trying to be different. This is a church that will not judge you. We will not judge you. It has no place here. It is not okay. It is not right. If we ever have, or if we've ever offered an insensitive solution or a quick fix, I am deeply, deeply sorry. And I hope you can forgive us. My prayer is that you find this church to be a safe place. I also pray that you receive really good professional help and that you don't feel any shame over that. I'm praying that the medication you take works really well for you, that you get that all figured out, which, which, by the way, taking your medication might be the best step for you to love God with all of your mind, and that is okay. I hope that you know we stand with you. You are some of the bravest and most courageous people I know. And if you're a friend or a family member of someone suffering from mental illness, illness which I imagine a lot of us fall in this category, um, we want to support you as well. Now, this week at our Livermore campus, there's a group starting called Living Alongside Mental Health, and it's set up to offer practical help as well as the support and hope that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, later on in Romans 8, we read that we groan inwardly as we await our adoption, as we, we await the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. We wait together, we groan together, we hope together that ultimately Jesus Christ restores each of us. That is the hope that we all hold on to regardless of what we're walking through in life. So with that said, again, it's okay if there's something you do or something you take that gives you clarity of mind because that might be the best step for you to take that will allow you to put the rest of this into practice. I wanted to make sure that, that we that we talked about that and addressed that before, before we moved on. I hope you're with me. Okay, back to Romans 8. Um, let's skip ahead to verse five. Let's skip ahead to verse five. Those who live according to the flesh, look at verse five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Have your minds set on what the Spirit desires. If we have our minds set on something, it means we can choose what we pay attention to. Don't miss this. This is the most basic power we have over our minds. If I can choose what I'm paying attention to, it means I can choose what I'm putting into my mind. One of the steps, one of the first steps Paul teaches here to loving God with all of our minds is the need to feed our minds. What are we feeding our minds with? Did any of your parents ever, ever walk in, or maybe you do this uh, with your kids. You ever walk in and see your kids um, watching something on television that you don't approve of or, or reading a book that you don't agree with or, or listening to music that you're like, no, that's, that's terrible. You can't listen to that. What do you say? If you're anything like my folks, you say to your kids, junk in, junk out. Like, my, that's all I heard growing up. Steve, junk in, junk out, okay? I get it. Well, apparently my parents are geniuses because this is scientifically true. If you put bad things in your brain, it will produce bad behavior. But the interesting thing that we learned from a, from a study into neuroplasticity, remember the highways that are paved in our brain? We learned that you can't take out negative thoughts, but you can add good thoughts. You can add truth. 
You can feed your brain with truth and it will begin to flush out the lies. It will renew your mind. It's kind of like this, this uh, glass of water here. Imagine this glass of water as, as a representation of our minds. This is, this is our minds and then when we start to add lies from the enemy, lies like you're not good enough, you don't matter, you're not worth it, you're, you'll never be successful, no one loves you. When you start to add these lies into your brain, it consumes and takes over your mind. And there is no way, look at how it's getting hardwired in there. There is no way that I could reach in and grab those lies out of there, right? Like I could try, but my hand would just get stained with food coloring and, and it'd be a mess. There's no way I could get these lies, these negative thoughts out of my mind. But what I can do, what I can do is I can add truth. I can add truth and I can watch the lies begin to flush away. I can add the truth of, of who God says I am. I can feed my mind with who God says I am. And when I do this, when I start memorizing scripture and hide God's word in my heart and in our mind, which is probably the best thing we can do, is to, is to memorize God's word and put it in our mind and hold on to it when we're at school, when we're at church, when we're at, um, at work, when we're with our community, when we add God's truth of who he says we are, that you are my son, you are my daughter, you matter, you're valuable, I gave my son to die for you. I've adopted you into sonship, you are mine, I love you. When we do that, it clears our mind and it wipes away the lies. This is what it looks like to feed our mind with truth. And you saw how much truth I had to add there. <laughs> right? We have to feed our minds with truth. We have to allow God to penetrate every fiber of our being so that we know who God says we are. Okay, verses six through seven. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What are we, what are we governed by? You know, we talked about this a little bit in week one when we talked about not being mastered by anything. If you were here, you remember that conversation. Are you governed by the flesh or are you governed by the spirit? Are you governed by the, the lies of the world or the truth of God? And Jesus says in John 8, 32, if you hold to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. A mind that is governed by the spirit is free. Another valuable step to help us love God with all of our minds. First, we feed our minds and we free our minds. Free our minds. A mind free from the lies of our past. A mind free from the lies of this world. Free from the lies of the flesh. A mind that is free from whatever the enemy would attempt to put in front of us to take us away from, from, our, from our Father. You know, I, I can struggle in this area so much. You know, one, one critical email about a sermon I give or something I say can completely consume my mind. It can lead to feelings of inadequacy or it can make me extremely defensive. Unless, unless I free my mind and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Because when I free my mind from the lies of the enemy, when I ask for help from the Holy Spirit, that's when I can learn from the input of those around me. 
that's when I can be honest with why some of that input actually hurts me and why it makes me feel inadequate and causes pain because at the same time, I get to hold on to the truth of who God says I am. That's step two. All right, verse eight. Verse eight, the last one we're gonna go over today. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Let's read a little bit of verse nine too. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If you do not live in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if God lives in you, you focus on God, you pay attention to God, to what God's saying and how God is leading One more step, focus our minds. Focus our minds. Focus on the spirit of God who lives in you. The God of of hope, the God of love, the God of compassion, the God of guidance, the God of provision, the God of truth, the God who is alive and active and present and real in your life, the God who listens to you and the God who speaks to you. You know, I I remember growing up, my dad would always ask me to help him with projects around the house. I don't know if he was trying to teach me how to use the tools that we had or, or like how to care for my family one day. I think it's because I was free labor. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's why my dad asked me to help. But one summer, my dad decided that he wanted to put an attic fan in, in the attic because that's where attic fans go. And, <laughs> and uh, now my dad's six foot three inches tall and he has an athletic build. You're welcome, dad, for calling your build athletic. And, and uh I'm excited to hear what he has to say about that later. Um, And so there's no way my dad's gonna crawl around in the attic, right? Like, he's a big guy. He's not crawling around in the attic. When he's got a son who's in middle school, he's like, all right, guess guess who's up? So I I went up into the attic. um, And he told me to wear, like, jeans and a sweatshirt because because there's insulation everywhere. And and you know that pink stuff that looks like like cotton candy but definitely is not (laughs) cotton candy? Um, It's, like, gets, gets all over you and it's itchy and... And so, so he sends me up there, and like I said, it's summer, so it's warm. Um, and I also realized that summer that I don't like tight spaces when I was up in the attic. So I'm crawling around, and about 30 minutes into my time in the attic, I, I realized, like, I'm not doing well. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't really see. The insulation had gotten, like, in my face, and so I felt like I couldn't breathe. And so I started to try and communicate to my dad that I wasn't doing okay. And so he, he started to try to calm me down, but nothing was working. And right around the time that I thought my life was gonna end and I was gonna live forever in the attic, uh, I mustered some form of communication to let my dad know the level of panic that I had reached and, and he shouted, ne- I'll never forget this, he shouted out, he said, Steve, close your eyes and listen to my voice. And my dad had stepped up on the stairs of, that led to the attic and he had his head just poking through the ceiling And with my eyes closed and all of my focus directed on my father's voice, he guided me out of the attic. He led me out of the terrible situation I had gotten myself into or that he had gotten me into. (laughs) Question, whose voice do you listen to when you start to panic? Who do you focus on when you're in trouble or when you need direction? Whose voice is guiding your life? 
You know, if we're going to love God with all our mind, we have to learn to focus on his voice, to not let our thoughts run wild, to not let other voices creep in, to not allow our surroundings to dictate our thoughts, but to focus on and listen to our Father's voice. You know, I fully believe that God speaks. I fully believe that the Spirit can flow through our minds at all times, but we have to focus on the God who lives in us. To close our time today, I wanna end a little bit different. I wanna give us a chance, an opportunity to focus on God's voice. Right now, go ahead and close your eyes. I don't think this is gonna be too uncomfortable. Go ahead and close your eyes. Sit in a way that will allow you to not be distracted by the people around you. Maybe you wanna sit with your hands open in a posture of surrender that you're ready to receive from God. Stop, be still, and listen. Close your eyes. Free your mind right now from all of the lies that you have been told. Free your mind from the worries and troubles and stresses that attempt to govern your life. I trust that God is speaking right now. I trust that he's going to speak to you. Whatever thoughts he brings to your mind are going to be from him. Receive his words. Listen to the truth of God. Ask him, Lord, what do you want me to know about you today? Focus on his voice. Ask him, Father, what do you want me to know about me today? Give me truth from you. Encourage me. Give, him, give me your, your freedom, Lord. sit there, if there's anything creeping in that's causing you to feel like you want to run away from God, remember what we, let her, what we read earlier. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God is not pushing you away. He's, he's drawing you near. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. If God's convicting you, then maybe there's just a time for a change of mind right now. And that's what God's bringing to your heart. But he does not condemn you. Listen to his truth. closed for just another moment as I read the end of Romans 8. Focus on this truth as we feed our minds with what God says through Paul's letter about who we are and who he is. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless 
groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.